This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics Podcast. I'm Scott Malcolm and we're here to unpack the money stuff. Today I'm joined by Marie Van Ash from Futurity Investment Group and we're going to be taking a bit of a journey down probably a financial product that got a bit of a bad rap in its early days but one that's actually got some really exciting uh, opportunities uh, for the future. So Marie, welcome along. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Scott. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, we've been asking all our guests about a early or a recent happy money memory that they're willing to share. Sure thing. So I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to lessons around money. So I'd have to say that financial literacy wasn't a big part of my upbringing. So I didn't really learn about the basics of saving, living within my means and avoiding bad debt at an early age. So heading into my university years, I was lured into having an overdraft and credit card to fund my lifestyle and living expenses at the time, which lasted well into my 20s. When I started working, I wasn't on a lot of money at the time, and I am a social and active person, and I find it hard to say no to things. So I was living a champagne lifestyle on an orange juice budget. And it wasn't until my late 20s that I accumulated some credit card debt that I realized I needed to sort my finances out if I was ever to get ahead in my 30s and be financially secure by the time I met my future partner. So I decided to commit the next 12 months to paying off my credit card debt and say no to fun things like holidays and socialising. And I even took up paid work outside my regular job, such as nannying and participating in market research focus groups to really Mm. prioritise this. Market research groups pay quite well to hear my opinions on various things, and I wish my partner realised the monetary value of my words of wisdom. (laughs) I'm proud to say that I was able to achieve that goal within a year. And stay away from those former bad habits and enjoy the freedoms that come with delayed gratification and discipline and be in a position to save, invest and buy a property in my 30s. I'm getting married next month and there's nothing like having a big life event like a wedding to help practice those good habits. And I am fortunate enough to be marrying someone that also has good financial habits, which makes me look forward to a bright financial future with him. Thank you so much for sharing that. And there's so much in that because I guess it is so, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, it is so easy to get into consumer debt. And when we're at a young age, like I remember rolling into university and the first thing at at one of the O-Week stalls is all the banks are there with their credit cards. And so you think, oh yeah, I'm I'm 18 now, I I need to get a credit card. And so as you just said, that that whole uh, tapestry of of life lessons and then getting out of debt can be such a, a mammoth task. So Thanks so much for sharing that, Marie. That's amazing. Education bonds. Now, as I said earlier, I guess they, they did get a bit of a bad rap back in the day based on some of the restrictions that, that were aligned to them. And, and we have talked on the podcast before. We had Grant Hackett come along and talk about investment bonds. And so education bonds, investment bonds, are they the same? Are they different? What are they? Basically, an education bond can do everything an investment bond does but more. So you're not losing anything with an education bond. You're actually gaining more flexibility, more tax benefits, and even more estate planning features with an education bond. 
But what is unique about an education bond is the tax benefits you gain when you take money out of an education bond to pay for an education expense. So like investment bonds, education bonds are a tax-paid investment structure. Futurity pays the tax on the earnings of that education bond on behalf of your client. Uh, and that's at 30%, but it's often less. Uh, our company tax rate's 30%, but we're able to apply credits and offsets and other methods to get that tax rate lower to as low as 18%. And it usually is around that 20 to 25% mark. One big difference between an education bond and an investment bond is that you've got two balances with an education bond. You've got your capital balance, which is the contribution that the investor puts into the bond. That is always available to them at any time for any purpose tax-free, just like a bank account. They can take money out of the capital component for the, of their education bond. If they do take money out of the earnings to pay for an education expense, we credit back the earnings by 30% which represents the tax that we've paid in that earnings balance. And they can also access the earnings and after the 10th year for non-education purposes, just like an investment bond with no tax yeah, implications. Wow. Again, I guess the name, education bond. And so it's primarily there to help people to set a savings goal to say, right, we want to help get our kids launched over time. Okay, can we build up some savings? And again, cost of living is something that everybody's got pressure on at the moment. And so actually having a game plan around, okay, we've got a plan to, to get our kids into private school or we want to use this money down the track for education at, at university or, or otherwise. Is there restriction on that? So you were saying before that there is flexibility around taking the capital out for non-education stuff. So I'm assuming that it doesn't matter what it's used for on the, the education side of things, as long as it's for a regulated course. So if someone's going into to trades or apprenticeships or if someone's going to university, they can be used under, under those circumstances. Uh, circumstances as well. Yep. There's a broad list of education expenses that uh, the parents can claim for in their child's name. So they can cover just not just fees, but uniforms, textbooks, laptops, camps, etc. all those ancillaries that really add up. They can claim from our education bond for them. Uh, we do cover adult learning, tertiary studies. We don't cover trade apprenticeships. That's one thing that isn't covered under our unique tax benefit. There's other tax concessions for trade apprenticeships, but um, it does go beyond primary and secondary schooling. There's definitely avenues for adult learning and tertiary and beyond. And so it's just really about having that that foundation and, and framework and going, okay, what can we be using these for to build it up? And so we, we talked on, again, the podcast about the investment bond and it's got some restrictions around what you can add to it year on year. And so is that the same with an education bond? So if you start with $2,000 say and then you're adding $1,000 a year to it. Has, has it got a similar rule like the 125% contribution rule? The 125% contribution rule still applies to investment bond type withdrawals that coming out of an education bond. So it does pay to keep an eye on it. However, if your client makes capital only withdrawals or education benefit claims, so the withdrawals coming from the earnings, Futurity won't look at the contributions history on those types of withdrawals. Therefore, if they did contribute more than 125% in the 10 years leading up to those withdrawals, we wouldn't reset that 10-year rule. So it does pay to keep an eye on it. Most of our bonds do go for about 15 to 20 years, depending on how young the child is when we start it. So 
ideally, if you want to over-contribute, do that in the earlier years, but then leading to the last 10 years of the education bond, maybe stay within the 125% contribution limit. So then you do have that flexibility to make an investment bond withdrawal with no personal tax consequences. And then, so from an investment perspective, so you were saying before it can be like a, a bank account. So is it just invested in cash? Are there other other options that can be used in the background there? There are 32 investment options that we have on our menu. They're quite diverse range of different investment options. We've got a lot of ethical options. We've got high growth, blended emerging markets. There's a real mix indexed. So there is a cash option, but there's also a lot of other choices, a lot more choices than there used to be with the older style education bonds. You've got a range of reputable fund managers that you can have access to uh, that's on our menu. So much more choice now. Yeah, fantastic. And, and so I think it is, again, for people building their framework, it's really about saying, okay, what, what are we trying to achieve as, a, as an end outcome or, or lump sum value? And then backstepping from there to start to pull that together. What are, what are some of the, I guess, most interesting things you've seen with the education bonds from a strategy perspective? The flexibility is probably the most interesting part of our education bonds from the feedback that I've received. It's even just as valuable as that unique tax benefit that we offer. So being able to treat it like a life event bond. So if uh, the parents need to take money out of the capital for things like a car or a family holiday, they're able to do that without any consequences. So I guess just that flexibility of using it for things other than education, as long as the intent is there to start up an education bond, to use it for education expenses, uh, there's no compulsion to use it uh, solely for education. You can use it for emergencies as well. We're seeing that um, happen throughout those COVID years where, say, a parent lost a job and had to take money back out of the capital to fund the living expenses for the family. They were able to do that uh, with a lot of flexibility. Are there things that, that trip people up, I guess, with regards to uh, education bonds and, and how they work or, again, misconceptions? I, I've probably got a few because I, again, uh, am getting my head around the, these new new versions. So what, what are some of those things? I think a common conception is that your money is locked away and it can only be used for education. I just uh, mentioned that it, it isn't. So that's probably the biggest uh, misconception. But Another one when it comes to education bonds could be uh, maybe just understanding the nuances of that education tax benefit. So it does uh, require a little bit more understanding of how the tax laws work in Australia. Every education expense that comes out of the earnings is assessed in the beneficiary's name, which is the child. So if we're dealing with minors, we're dealing with minor tax rates. It does limit what we can get from the earnings and therefore the 30% education tax benefit. So it does require a bit of guidance, uh, perhaps from the financial advisor, or we've got a very robust customer services team that can also guide and make sure that they're not making ineffective tax for tax purposes withdrawals. So as long as they stay within the tax-free limits, depending on the minor's age, if they're 18 plus, they qualify for adult tax-free thresholds. So it's just different. So there's probably just that little extra bit of guidance and education that's required when it comes to making those education withdrawals from earnings. Because, mm. again, un- unlike a, an investment bond as such, investment bonds, if you pull the money out, you, you get a, a, a credit you've got to pay for, and it's probably a bit more complicated than that. But with the education bond, it's dependent on 
yeah, is it the capital or is it the earnings? And then is that being taxed to the, the beneficiary who might be the, the child? But, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the, the 10 year rule still applies. So once it's been in there for 10 years, then we hit that threshold of this is now all tax free. Is that correct? No. Uh, for an investment bond withdrawal, the 10 year rule does apply. It does. That's correct. Investment bond withdrawals after 10 years. They are tax-free to the investor. For education withdrawals and capital-only withdrawals, no 10-year rule applies. They can make those withdrawals within 10 years, tax-free for the capital withdrawals, but with the education withdrawals up to the tax-free limit. So that is another, I'm glad you raised that, uh, no time limit on when you make those withdrawals for capital and education withdrawals, but there's still that set extra layer of making sure that there's no uh, penalty tax for the minors if they go over the 416 limit when they're under 18. So just takes a little bit more guidance on those types of withdrawals to make sure they're tax-free withdrawals. Yeah. So the, the alternative to all this is investing just in your personal name and that attracts tax along the way. And so it's really about having your framework and your foundation set and starting this journey early on as, as soon as possible because then you can start to really build up. Is there a minimum amount that, that people can be adding to these on a, a monthly or regular basis? We start at minimum $1,000 for a regular savings plan with a $200 a month commitment so that hopefully suits most budgets, and then our lump sum plans with no monthly commitment is $5,000. Calculators-wise or, or other things just to help people to map out some of the – obviously, they, they can come and speak to someone like me who's a financial planner, but if people are trying to map out their own outcomes, have you got sort of tips on, on where people can be looking for some of those things? We do have a handy calculator on our website that's available to investors. It's the cost of education calculator just to assess how much it would – typically cost to send your child to either a government school, Catholic school or independent school. Interestingly enough, uh, Victoria is the most expensive when it comes to public schooling. So our calculator wow. shows from prep to year 12, yes, uh, second most expensive in the country for private schooling, but most expensive for public schooling. What are those numbers? Like how much does it cost yes. to actually educate or send, a, send someone to school these days? From prep to year 12, in Victoria for a public school, including all your ancillaries, so your laptops, uniforms, textbooks, camps, etc. The total cost for 13 years of schooling is $103,000 in Victoria, and that's for a child starting prep this year. So that's including the future cost of education. That's like yes, government school? Just, just government wow. school. The common misconception is that there is no cost to send a child to public school, Yes, sometimes the fees are optional, but we're talking all those other extra costs that really add yeah. up. Do you want to go time. on an excursion? Do you want to yeah, pay for computers or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Wow. And another interesting thing is that every family will have to face paying for education costs for their children. But only half of Australian families are very or extremely intentional about preparing for those costs of educating their children. So with public schooling and all those ex extra costs that, you need to also account for a lot of families aren't prepared for that. So these education bond strategies that we're talking about today are very well suitable for public school as well as private school. Have you got stats on private schools? Yes, it would be more than three times the amount. So we're looking at around $330,000 to 
privately educate a student from prep to year 12 for 13 years of private schooling. We are working on expanding our cost of education calculator to include university costs. They do vary from state to state. For instance, there were proposals for nursing degrees to be free in Victoria, so it really depends on the degree and the state. So there's a lot more data we're uh, working on to include that cost because uh, there is also research on the impact of university debt. A lot of Australian families are more concerned about primary and secondary school costs, but university debt can hold back uh, young adults into potentially getting a mortgage or other types of financial decisions that can impact carrying that debt. And we've got data that suggests that up to 48% of people in their 40s still having hex debt. With our education bond strategy covering tertiary costs as well, there's a potential to use the bond to also fund tertiary education expenses. Yeah, wow. Because and, and again, in the US, everybody seems to have college funds or, or university funds to be getting prepped for that. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating that I think Australia, we, we have really got to start thinking about that. The, the generations are gone of uh, having free education, unfortunately. I know I'll get, I'll get my lefty on and I'll, uh, I'll get offended by that. Marie, I guess with, with that in mind, so there's some calculators there people can look at and I might throw, I'll, I'll throw all the links in the, the show notes as well. And again, the Money Smart website does have some great resources as well with regards to if you know total cost, you can basically start to map out what you need to be putting aside on a, on a day-to-day basis. Is there anything else interesting or some of the, the things that you've seen along the way with the education bonds that have been, uh, been fascinating to chat about? There are a lot of opportunities with inheritances and potentially even divorce settlements and other types of lump sum money that are flowing through generations, we are seeing a lot of opportunities to maybe use some of that windfall towards an education bond. I mentioned minor tax rates when it comes to making education claims. There may be instances where if a money comes from a testamentary trust or an inheritance or even maybe a divorce settlement, depending on how it's structured, there may be adult tax rates available for minors, which means we can maximise that education tax benefit before they're 18. So we are also solving a lot of complicated family problems. Our education bonds have some really great estate planning features that really do facilitate that transfer of wealth in a simple, certain tax-free way. Uh, There is a mechanism in our education bond that makes our education bond a non-estate asset, which means it sits outside the will. It can't be contested or challenged in the courts. So there's a lot of protections around our education bonds, as well as the flexibility and the tax benefits I mentioned earlier. So if there is a testamentary trust involved, or even if there is uh, a special disability trust involved, I imagine that there's some really uh, interesting solutions that can be crafted uh, on that front. And again, maybe not a, a question we've uh, prepped for, but the, the government toys with superannuation. And again, this is a, a multi-trillion dollar bucket of, of money and, and its tax concessions are amazing. And we are seeing governments that tinkle with that over time. And it's back in the media again at the moment. Is, is government likely to change the, the tax concessions that are involved with education bonds or insurance bonds? Do you have a view on that? You don't have to but I just thought it was interesting. It has come up internally. Investment bonds, education bonds in general aren't a huge market like superannuation is. So we're not so much a target from what I've heard internally. So we will continue (laughs) our ways until there are changes. But if anything, if 
potentially the marginal tax rate changes that could have an impact. But our own company tax rate remains as it is. That unique tax benefit when used for education uh, that is hard-coded in the Income Tax Assessment Act, it's not a ruling that can change so easily, so that we believe will remain preserved. And there may be opportunities with these changes to super for education and investment bonds as well. Yeah, definitely. And often just say to people about having a multitude of strategies and, and again, the right sort of bucket set up to say, right, here's our education funding, here's our retirement funding, here's our other sort of special needs or, or other things that might be required. And so I think it's a, a great uh, option there as well. There's a few fancy videos and stuff on your website, aren't there, that sort of explain this all in more uh, more context because we, we do keep these episodes short and sweet. But you, have you got some other resources online as well that people can look to? We do have have a couple of one minute handy explanatory videos that you can access on the website. We have some great case studies and schedules of the cost of education if you want to use that addition to the calculator. You as an advisor, Scott, has a, you have access to a projection calculator so you can model out different scenarios for your clients. So that's a calculator just for advisors but there is a cost of education calculator on the website for clients or for investors well that's that's all really exciting before we part ways today marie it's been interesting and as a really uh, a vehicle that probably did get a bit of a, uh, a hard uh, initial start out actually has some really great opportunities and and i think flexibility now built into it which is which is great any sort of parting words or final lessons that you want to share with our, our listeners today thank you i have Three key lessons I'd like to share. So lesson number one, have a plan for your children's financial future. Children come with many costs, education only being part of that, and a lot of families don't forward plan to meet these costs. Plans can change over time. and You can always review the plan, but when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Another lesson, don't forget about the children. Life can throw a lot of curveballs like divorces and death, and the ones that suffer the most are the children. So having something like an education bond dedicated for the children's present and future financial needs is a great way to keep their best interests at heart. And lastly, seek financial advice in this area. Our education bond has many great features, some nuanced features that can be tailored to your specific needs and a financial advisor will best help navigate this. Get advice, get advice, get advice. I love it. I love it. But Marie, look, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights. And as I say, I'll put some of the links and connections there in the show notes so people can reach out if they've got questions for you specifically. But really enjoyed the chat today. It's been great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out. But uh, if you've enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends or give us a rating where you are listening. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.